0: Arnie's Cayman, I'm Nick Hoffman, and you're listening to The Cayman Lawyer. On this episode, my partner Jason Wood and Senior Associate Lachlan Gregg from our restructuring team will be discussing class composition and the flexibility and desire not to give veto power to a small minority. I'm Jason Wood, and I'm Head of Restructuring here in Cayman, and I'm joined today by my colleague Lachlan Greg, who's a Senior Associate in the team. Welcome, Lachlan, and thanks for coming. Hey Jason. uh, It's good to be here. Today is the first in a series of podcasts we'll be presenting where we'll be looking at various issues which can and do arise in the context of a Cayman Islands debt restructuring, and especially in the context of cross-border restructurings. Now, these podcasts aren't going to be in-depth affairs which delve into all the nooks and crannies of every topic, but rather they'll be pretty short and sharp. And will run to less than 10 minutes, but which will hopefully give listeners a good overview of how things operate in the island. Yeah, so
1: for our first episode, we're going to be discussing class composition on schemes, which is pretty straightforward in theory, but you know often leads to some fairly long judgments and can run companies seeking to restructure into a bit of trouble. So the starting point is the major debt restructuring tool in Cayman is the scheme of arrangement, which is something most people here are going to be familiar with. But essentially, it's a statutory tool for restructuring debt where you have majority creditor support where you can cram down or sort of impose the restructure on minority creditors, provided you've got the support for at least the majority in number and 75% in value of your creditors. And if you reach that threshold of support, the court can then, you know, subject to ticking some other boxes, sanction the scheme, at which point it's binding on all creditors, whether or not they wanted it or not.
0: Basically, there are two scenarios where creditor classes can become an issue. First off, It's where a creditor or a company is looking to cram down only a certain section of its creditors, only a certain class of creditors, which it's allowed to do under our legislation. And the second scenario is where the company wants to cram down all of its creditors, but argues that they should be all plonked into one class. Now, the relevance of class composition is important because for each different class of creditors, you need to have a separate meeting. So say the company wants to restructure all of its debt. If the creditors are split into different classes, say three different classes, then you need to have a compromise approved by the statutory majority at all of those meetings. That is, at each meeting, the compromise needs to be put to the creditors or that class of creditors at the meeting, and the majority in number holding at least 75% of the debt have to approve it. And so if you don't get the majorities at all of those meetings, some creditors won't have their debts compromised and the restructuring simply won't work. Uh, And of course,
1: that's where the tension arises. Generally speaking, the company will want a single class of creditors. So the compromise can be crammed down on all of the creditors. And you only need a few major creditors on board to get the deal through. On the other hand, if you're a creditor who's not very happy with the deal, you're going to try and find a way to put yourself into a different class. and, And then you'll have more power on the vote.
0: Okay, so that's the tension between the company and its creditors when it comes to class. You've got the company wanting one class and you've got creditors wanting multiple classes in order to give them a bit of bargaining power. Now, getting the class composition correct is important because if you get it wrong, then at the end of the day, the court won't have jurisdiction to sanction or approve the scheme. And that's always a little tricky strategically. And that's because when you're looking at a Cayman scheme of arrangement, it's done in two steps step one is applying to the court for directions for the convening of the creditor meeting or meetings after that the meeting or meetings are held and if the statutory majorities are are attained, you move on to step two which is a company going back to court and asking for an order sanctioning or approving the scheme now the problem here is that if there's going to be a problem with class composition it's not likely to arise or raise its head until the second hearing that is after you've gone through the whole process with the directions and the meetings and you're back in court looking for approval of the scheme. Now I mentioned this sort of strategic element because when the court makes directions on class composition at the first hearing, ordinarily only only the company turns up to that hearing. So if you're representing the company at that hearing, you really don't wanna fall into the trap of tailoring your submission so as to ensure there's only one single class of creditors and then get directions to that effect. Now that's gonna be a temptation to go for that one class option. Because very likely there'll be no one else at the hearing opposing what you're saying. But it's a temptation which should be avoided because it may well come back to bite you at the end of the day when you're back before the court for an order approving the scheme and some creditor turns up and says he should have been put in a separate class. So you really need to be pretty upfront at the very first court hearing and pretty pretty open and honest with the judge in relation to whether or not there should be one or more classes. Because as I say, it could well come back to bite you. Yeah, So that begs the
1: question of how do you know whether you can include all creditors in one class or does there need to be separate classes? Um, it's one of those situations where the test is pretty simple, but in practice, because you're often dealing with a multitude of creditors and a multitude of different factors, it's often difficult to apply. So the test is whether the rights of creditors are so dissimilar so as to prevent them from consulting together for their common interests. And if those rights are so dissimilar, such that they can't properly consult together on the merits of the proposal. They will need to be put into a separate class.
0: So that's the test, this similarity of rights. And as you can imagine, it's very, very fact-specific. To help out, however, some principles and guidelines have been given by the judges through the case law, and I'll, I'll quickly run through those. First off, the courts have said it's not simply a matter of plonking creditors with different rights into different classes. The question is whether the rights are so dissimilar. That they can't consult together for their common good. So creditors who who happen to have different rights against the company, different creditor rights, can still be part of the same class, provided those rights aren't so different as to stop them from consulting together. The second point that the court that have come through the uh, the, the comments of judges is that the courts will be mindful that if you get too finicky when assessing creditor rights, then you'll simply end up with too many classes, and that really has the effect of defeating the whole purpose of having a cram down regime. If you're going to have too many classes for for every scheme of arrangement, it simply makes it too hard to get schemes across the line. And what's the point in having the legislation? And the third point, the judges have said, is that a good indicator as to whether you need separate class meetings is to look at the rights of creditors going into the compromise and their rights coming out of it. That is, what you do is you look at the creditor position if there's no compromise, and then look at their position if there is a compromise, and if those rights are the same then those creditors should all be in the same class. So for example, let's say a company's insolvent and in a liquidation, all unsecured unsecured creditors would expect to receive the same, same cents on the dollar dividend, say 5 cents on the dollar. If that's the case, where all unsecured creditors will receive that 5 cents on the dollar, then without the compromise, they're all in the same position. They've all got a right to receive that pro rata dividend. And let's say the compromise then involves all of those unsecured creditors being paid, say 10 cents on the dollar then again, we have the same rights. That is, the rights of the creditors in the compromise are going to be equal across the board. They're each going to be paid 10 cents on the dollar. And so in that scenario, their rights going into the compromise, that is without a scheme, their right to get 5 cents on the dollar, and their right coming out of the compromise pursuant to the scheme, which is to get 10 cents on the dollar, they're the same. And so therefore, they should be put in the same class, regardless of whether they've got different creditor claims. They may be a mix of banks, note holders, trade creditors, whatever. They've got the same rights going in and coming out. They're all in the same boat. They can consult together for their best interests, even though their actual character as creditors may be quite different. So
1: as, as a rule of thumb, you need to make sure for your Cayman Scheme, that creditors with different rights are put into separate classes and have separate meetings to vote on the deal and determining whether there's going to be more than one class, a pretty good indicator is the test of rights going in versus rights coming out.
0: Okay. Thanks very much, Lachlan. That's an overview of the class composition requirement in Cayman. And we hope it's been a somewhat useful exercise for people listening in. And next time you have a Cayman scheme in your arsenal, keep an eye on class composition. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Please keep an eye out for for the next podcast in this series. And in a restructuring sense, that will cover cross-border restructurings and whether or not there's a need for parallel compromises in different jurisdictions. Thanks very much.